Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The Grind. Thanks to Tennis Direct, your number one online tennis store with great prices and fast delivery. Go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au. Use the discount code FIRSTSERVE10. Hello everyone and welcome back to another instalment of The Grind. My name is Roddy Reynolds. Today we're joined by current WTA player and touring professional Alexandra Osborne from New South Wales. Alex, welcome to the show. It must feel nice to be back home. How are you going? Yeah, going well, thanks. It's unreal being back home. Nice playing a tournament this week on home soil, that's for sure. And yeah, just back in the Aussie sun, so it's nice. You're back in Sydney playing the 60K there. How's your year been on tour? Inside the top 300 for the Dubs now, which is obviously a massive positive. How's the year been and how has this week come about for you? This year's been unreal. Another really, kind of my second year on a full swing with regards to just playing constantly since I graduated college and pretty much been on tour. So yeah, second year of it, it's going really well. Really happy with how I've been going. I've taken a lot of risks this year with regards to tournaments, just, you know, trying to like pick and choose high level events and trying to just risk going and kind of signing for singles. But obviously my my goal has been doubles and uh, it's been paying off. Obviously some really tough weeks, some tough situations where I've uh, doubles kind of pull out from injury, from COVID, from just a bit of a ridiculous excuses sometimes. But yeah, kind of just like, uh, gone with the punches a little bit and just managed to stay positive and just kind of roll with it and still try and enjoy it as much as I can. And again, yeah, this week being home is just such a nice way to finish off. I landed on Monday morning and I asked for a Wednesday start, which I got, which was great. So uh, I had, you know, a day and a half at home before playing a match pretty much. Yeah, let's just say I'm pretty tired. <laughs> let's take it back a step. How did, I guess, how did you get to where you are today in, in, a, in, a, bit of a, in a bit of a summary? I mean, what were your pathways you took through juniors and into your teenage years? And you, you mentioned college as well. How did you sort of evolve to where you are today? Yeah, so I started tennis late. I started when I was 12, which is, yeah, I mean, wow. I guess my papa is a little unorthodox. Yeah, I played a lot of sports growing up. My parents chucked me in a tennis camp when I was five and I came home crying, hating it. Like I really remember it and not loving it at all. And I really played team sports most of my life. Yeah, so this really random, my parents kind of forced us to go to this tennis camp at 12. They were like, you're old enough to deal with it. So we went. Yeah, I honestly fell in love with it from the first day. I remember my dad picking me up and I was just couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. And my brother and I, from then on out, my that was my kind of my last year in primary school. And then, yeah, my brother and I were just hitting the back wall in the back lane and hit to each other in the mornings before school constantly. And uh, at 15, I moved high schools to Meriden. Um, Anglican Girls School in Sydney they've got a tennis academy attached to their high school so I had met the head coach Ross Anton at a bunch of junior tournaments I guess that I was playing and obviously I started late but he saw something in me and really took a risk which was you know I'm forever grateful for that because going to Meriden was really the first kind of move I made with my tennis that helped me along the journey I took and have been going on today and went four years there for high school and and then I just knew and kind of year 11 that I wasn't going to be able to play pro straight out of high school. I wasn't at that level of maturity in my game. And I just, my parents also wanted me to get an education and I just knew that that was the best option. And it sounded amazing from what I'd heard going to college. So 
I started, you know, reaching out to schools and going through that process. And I didn't have any agency help me. I did everything myself, which was a lot of work because a lot of people now will hire, you know, an agency to help them. So yeah, my parents didn't help me either. It was, if I wanted to do it, I did it. And I set my mind to it and did all the paperwork and everything. And it was hectic. I remember it was December and how HSC results don't come out until I think December 18. And over Christmas, all of those offices are closed for the visa applications and everything. So we had to just rush everything. You know, I think we paid a bit of money to get like all the paperwork through. Yeah, I rocked up. Yeah, I guess at college, I went to Arizona State. So I emailed a bunch of schools, my top kind of two preferences in each Power 5 conference. And I just, you know, I heard back from some schools, some schools were interested, some, a lot of them had already signed people because I had no idea they signed so early. A girl on the the team, an Aussie girl, Ebony Panaho, she is from Queensland. She messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, are you looking at schools? And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely looking at colleges. And I hadn't even come across Arizona State in the Pac-12. And I looked into it and it looked good. The business school was, you know, top 25 in the country at the time and spoke to the coaches and yeah it just happens so fast and I signed my NLI before them even watching me play they just totally gone off my results I guess the conversations we'd had with them and I signed and it was November actually so I just finished my exams and the assistant coach Clint Letcher he's from Queensland too an Aussie guy he'd come and watch me play and it was funny because I'd already signed he hadn't watched me and I guess like they couldn't really do anything if I was terrible but I guess they were like happy with it so yeah I I went to school in 7th of January 2014 and started straight into season two weeks later after arriving at school I was in Chicago and into season so yeah it happened all pretty fast. Well a couple of themes that I think probably come through there is it seems like obviously being able to manage that application process yourself it sounds like you're quite independent which is probably something that's helped you throughout your career as a touring pro you've obviously got to be your own manager for the most part and then also it sounds like you've always been someone who's lent towards team sports or a team environment you said you were a team sport player before you hit the age of 12 and picked up a tennis racket properly the college experience and all that sort of thing and now you're a doubles or you're, you're further ahead I guess in your progression of your doubles has that always been the case do you find that's made life a bit easier for you on the road yeah I think so I think I've learned so many lessons from you know a young age and obviously I'm very independent and if I want something I'll definitely work towards it yeah I think those team sports really teach you some great qualities and being being a team player I guess I just I'm not a super selfish person and I think a lot of tennis players in their right you know it's great it's a really good quality as well and to make it you kind of have to be selfish a little bit so yeah I think that's something I struggle with you know, when it comes to my singles a little bit. But yeah, playing in, in with a team with a doubles partner, I think you can bounce off each other really well. And just the energy out there, it's just something that comes a lot more naturally. And it's funny, like, I just think I can, I read the plays better. I think I can like see things unfold. And I think that's coming from a team sport, like playing touch football or soccer or netball, you know, you're kind of watching the play, watching the ball. So you can, I can kind of like take that step back almost and and see the see what's happening before it happens a little bit in doubles. And I don't know why, but in singles, it just doesn't come as naturally sometimes. So I think that's something that's like really helped me with my doubles. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of Tuesday night tennis players out there who can probably say that uh, they don't have that feeling in singles, but maybe it's a little <laughs> bit more there in the doubles. Yeah. Now, life at college, you've obviously got the academic pressure. That's still a commitment that you can't hide from. But then you've obviously got to play and deliver for your community, I guess. How did you find balancing that because um you've obviously done quite well academically and I guess what were the resources like that you had at college I mean we hear some stories of uh some schools have got you know the private jets and all that but if nothing else I imagine the resources you would have at college 
would be greater than what you would have on the road traveling by yourself or just with one or two others yeah I mean there's so much to unpack about college I mean it's it's a whole nother podcast I feel like it's um it's an amazing experience and nothing can quite kind of get you ready for it to be honest with you like it's it's great though the resources from a tennis standpoint I mean you've got free coaching you've got free gear rackets shoes strings free stringing I mean the list goes on obviously the tennis is great but the academic side for me and the the support from the athletic department as well is something I hadn't quite experienced before. And that's where I really thrived and just loved the college aspect. I think I'd experienced it in high school, that academy, you know, I, I was able to learn in high school how to balance that that academic and sporting side. And I think that really helped me with that transition into college where it was quite seamless and it wasn't something that was a huge shock to the system with regards to having to manage my scheduling and and timeline of a day it was something that was already quite natural to me um so I thought I was able to really take advantage of those extra things maybe that other athletes weren't so for example I think I mean obviously the college experience is what you make of it you know how much you put in is what you really get out and I really believe that yeah so I was able to really network and meet a lot of the athletic directors and make really good relationships with them that I still have today so whenever I go back I'll have meetings with all of the athletic directors the head one, and then also the senior associate athletic directors. And I think um, building those relationships really heightened my experience and led me to do some really unique things. I mean, I did a lot of volunteer work, which I had never experienced in high school and being able to travel around rural Native American land throughout Arizona and Southern California and, and stuff like that and really get to like know the community and um kind of share the athletic experience from a Sun Devils perspective at Arizona State was really unique. I mean, I was able to be like the SAC president, which was the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And I think that really gave me a great perspective. And I learned a lot doing that and seeing how uh, a corporation and a business kind of runs from the other side. Because as an athlete, you see only so much. But then when you're on the other side of it, you really get to learn about what goes into your experience. So I it makes me that much more grateful to see kind of the the business side of the athletic department and being able to see like, wow, like so much goes into making our experience as a student athlete what it is. I think a lot of student athletes, they don't really know, I guess, about, about that side. And that obviously feeds into your time studying as a, I guess, a master of sports law and business and then going on to the ITF panel, which we'll get to. But I believe in the midst of all this, you're also an All-American? Yes, yeah, I'm an All-American. Uh, I won the Pac-12 doubles championships with my doubles partner, Ebony Panaho, in 2016. Actually, the last doubles championship, like individual championships in the Pac-12. Because since then, it's now like become a, a, a team event. So we're the last ones to win that doubles event. Um, and from that, we made the NCAA tournament and we made the Sweet 16 or the round, the quarterfinals, essentially, of the individual doubles tournament. So we were all Americans from that. So, yeah, it was a great junior year for me. Really cool. And when did you make the decision to go pro? Through college, I just always felt that I always had a lot more to give. And I think senior year, I, ju- I just knew that my potential hadn't been reached. I just felt that I, I still wasn't done with my tennis. 
you know, I obviously had my master's degree to fall back on and I just thought that that's always there. And, you know, I, I would always have that this regret and like, what if, if I didn't do it? It was always something through college that I kind of wanted to do. There was never an actual point where I was like, oh, this is definitely what I'm doing. It was just something that I was always trained for and getting ready for through college. I just knew that I wanted to still do it. I think I started so late as well. So I just, I'm not burnt out. And I just, you saw so many college players just be done even through college and that wasn't me. I just always felt like I was really motivated and just energetic and, and was still like had a lot to give. I suppose that must be a relatively unique position to be in. And, but when you did turn professional, what was that transition period like? You're moving away from that massive collegiate environment. You're going out there on your own or with a couple of others. I mean, who did you travel with primarily? Was it, you know, a doubles partner one week and if you meet up with friends in other cities or whatever, but how did you manage the yeah, the, tra- the transition into life as a pro and just going out there and putting yourself on the line. It's a funny story how I started playing pro. My third year, so my junior year in college, that summer I met a young girl who needed a practice partner before her tournament in Arizona. And so through a few connections at the school, they somehow got my number and I was warming this girl up for a tournament one summer and I just got along really well with her and her dad and her dad was a lawyer in Louisiana and because of my master's in law that I was going to be doing I was trying to look at options for staying in America after college so he actually then proposed you know stay in touch with me and if the opportunity kind of arises I'd love to kind of help you financially your first year playing in lieu of me working at his law firm uh, to make sure that I met the criteria for my OPT postgraduate visa as well as coaching his daughter's so I did that. Um, it was just amazing. I'm just, I don't know, I guess like I just talk a lot. I meet a lot of people and I just put myself in this situation and I just met this amazing family who I'm still super close with today. And they helped me financially my first year playing and I really could not have done it without them. Um, you know, my family are so supportive, but like they can't really help me in that way financially. So I was able to meet this family who helped me so much and I moved to Louisiana two weeks after graduating from my master's in law and started working at this law firm doing some stuff and he had this coach in town who I was you know working with and I still do work with when I'm in America Ashley Roney he uh, is an amazing coach coach Chanda Rubin to I think six in the world so he he's a really the real deal and it was just crazy how it all kind of the stars aligned and yeah, so that's kind of how I started. So May 2018, I moved to Louisiana and that's where I first started playing. So I played around America that year primarily and a little bit in South America and Canada. And then I went home and um, unfortunately had quite a, a big injury in 2019 once I had done that kind of year stint of playing and then COVID happened. So that's kind of been my journey now so far a little bit on the tour and um, last year, 2021, was my first full year on tour, oh. uh, kind of really intensely travelling uh, for nine months actually in a row, <laughs> which was quite a toll yeah. on my body and mind, but we got through it. <laughs> that raises a lot of questions, but let's talk about uh, the arrangement you had, I guess, in Louisiana. So in a normal week, you'd be at the law firm doing clerical work, I would imagine and then I guess there'd be some time carved out there for some lessons for the kids and then you've also got to find time to train yourself how did you deal with those balancing or competing interests you know from there when was have you gone back since and offered to help a hand in, in administrative capacity when was the last time your, uh, your professional <laughs> days ended on that yeah front? I think I thrive in very 
intense, busy situations. I just find a way to get things done. But it was tough when I first went there. I mean, I you know had never even met his other daughter or his wife and never met this coach. And it was all very new. But one thing about the South is they're all so welcoming. It's honestly one of my favorite places on this earth. It's the people are just so amazing. They treated me like I was their daughter. They opened their houses to me, fed me, just totally looked after me. It was an amazing experience. Um, so, yeah, when I first started there, a lot of it was from the road as well. So I was doing a lot of research for him. So I was able to do it on the road, which was great. And he was so flexible because he knew what my goal was, was to play pro. And he wasn't really trying to hinder me or, or hold me back in any regard. When I was home, I would come home between tournaments uh, to Louisiana, that is. I would just coach his daughters. I would write up like coaching plans for them, fitness plans in the gym for them as well. So that they always had stuff to work on. So that was really fun just to kind of use experience from college as well, from all that programming to be able to, you know, implement that into their schedules. Yeah. Whenever I was in town I would just be in the office I'd sit in on mediation and depositions and just always be taking notes and and do filing and just do like you know whatever needed to be done essentially in the office it was a lot of fun though I'd never really experienced working in a law firm before so it was great I absolutely loved it and then I I do go back didn't go back and train there this year but I went I was just there before I flew to Australia so I went there I was there a week ago and saw all of the coaches at the club and all my friends. I've made like, you know, so many friends there, which is so lovely. So I got to see them all for the 24 hours I was in town. It was a very busy day. Yeah. And then the year before 2020, when I was traveling for nine months, I did go back there as well. So whenever I'm in America, I I always make sure I go back there and I do training blocks there too. So, you know, next year I'll, I'll probably do a few training blocks between tournaments in America as well. So Whenever I want to go back there, I'm welcome, which is so lovely. It sounds like you are very, very fortunate. So you've had, is it two full years on tour now? Middle of 2018 to middle of 2019. Uh, That was kind of about 12, 14 months of playing. Again, like I would play like two weeks, two weeks off. It was was, um, very much a, a slow transition. And then last year was really an intense year where I was playing week in, week out, you know, pretty much all year nearly and on the road away from home for nine months. So, yeah, I would say the last last year and this year have really been two really full years, probably obviously three in total, but where it's been just nonstop and and super intense has, has been the last two years. And when you got to the end of last year, start of this year, did you do you set goals? Is that something you do? Did you have yeah. a, a target in mind? What were your targets? And let's do an analysis. How are you comparing? Yeah. Those at the yeah. Moment? No, I mean, definitely like haven't quite hit the, the goal. The goal was to be ranked around 200 by the end of this year. Obviously, there's, you know, still a few, two months left, but I won't be traveling again this year. But yeah, not quite there at the 200 to end the year. But that's okay. I mean, I know I took a lot of risks this year and some paid off and, and some didn't. You know, I, I can't be too hard done by. It's it's tough, the situation where I've been in a lot of the weeks for doubles, just with really unlucky situations. But it's definitely made me stronger and it's given me, you know, good perspective though. And yeah, it made me, made me tougher, that's for sure. But I know it's in the moving in the right direction, you know, the ranking and, and my game is, you know, even where I haven't been getting results, I just... My, my level's been really consistent week in, week out, which is what I'm looking for. And there haven't been any weeks where it's just been a terrible week. So, yeah, all really positive, to be honest. And, yeah, I mean, goals for also for me were to get, you know, an S&C coach, which I've had for most of the year, and also, you know, doing a lot of work, mental work. So I'm working with 
I'm working with Cara Black kind of at the moment on my tennis and her husband is kind of a mental coach. So I've been working with both of them a lot this year. So yeah, I've really stuck to, to those goals and, you know, obviously the rankings out of my control and I can only do as much as I can. You know, I feel like I have, yeah, the level's there. So really looking forward to the Aussie summer and next year and hopefully the goal is to be playing WTAs, you yeah. know, most of <clears> next year. So yeah, having like quite sat down and written out my goals yet for next year, but those were my goals for this year anyway. Yeah. My, my teammate from college, Desiree Kravchuk, uh, is obviously a top, I think she's 15 maybe now or something, yeah. but she's been top 10. And I'm fortunate, like I, I'm, you know, friends with a lot of those girls. So they're great examples for me to kind of look up to and um, surrounding myself with people like, you know, a coach like Cara and, and those girls is really great for my game. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, the wisdom that she would have to impart would be awesome for someone, especially like yourself, who's uh, succeeding in doubles, you know, so much at the moment. And which brings me to my next question. How do you balance those weeks where you have, uh, you might have direct entry or even a good seeding for your doubles position, depending on who you're playing with, but then your singles ranking isn't quite at the same level. So how do you, how do you manage that? I know you've had qualifiers a fair bit, so to, qualities take place on like a Sunday, Monday or Tuesday and then the dub starts around about, you know, the latter stages of that. How does it all go? It's tricky to manage. I think this year for me, I've left my names in a lot of 60s, 80s and 100s and I've actually been so many weeks, most of the the tournaments, honestly, this year, especially when it comes to the 80s, 100s, 60s, I'm pretty much sliding into qualities, but sometimes not depending on the week. I mean, the two 100s on grass this year uh, in the grass season, I was like 40 alternate. I was just leaving my name in qualifying and I was getting into all of the events. So for me, I was prioritizing doubles and always trying to find a doubles partner that I knew I wanted to play with or that could do well with. And I've been so fortunate. I mean, I've had mainly played with doubles players that have ranked between 100 and 200 most of the year. And it's great that you know, I'm able to find players that want to play with me at that level. It's just trying to find those doubles partners for tournaments and then leaving my name in the singles. And if I happen to get in, I get in. If I don't, I don't. And that's something that I've really been worried about. And I mean, the singles, obviously, I've had like a career high win this year. I beat Christine McHale being ranked, you know, 10 years in a row on the top 50 pretty much and had just some other good wins and, and really solid matches against highly ranked people. And I think that's, still help my doubles a lot playing singles so that's why I still want to be playing singles events but it's just not a priority and haven't been prioritizing you know in weeks being like oh I'm not in singles I'm just I'm not going to play dubs maybe you know or mainly being okay I'm in this tournament for doubles I'll just leave my name in singles if I get in I get in if I don't I don't it's just not meant to be that's fine it it really hasn't been an issue for me and I'm not really working on that double singles ranking and getting up there. You know, I, I'm at a really good level. I feel like I'm playing really well in singles, actually, like my best year in singles, but I'm not really putting pressure on that ranking. If it goes up, it goes up at the moment. I'm not too worried about it. What changing pace a little bit. So this year you've been added to the ITF World Tennis Tour player panel. Can you give us all an idea of what that panel does, how you got on the panel what you hope to achieve through it, I guess, yeah, your 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 lifespan on the panel, like what's your term? Yeah, so the term is a two-year term and I got voted in. So essentially people put people's names forward, essentially other players, and then there's a voting system where then players are voted in. This year there weren't as many applicants. The first time around, so the panel started three years ago now and I did apply for the first the first group of the panel members and I wasn't elected in. Another Australian girl actually was for our region. 
And yeah, so I just, I knew I wanted to be on it. I just thought that I had some good experience to be able to bring. And I'm, I'm really passionate about making, making the experience better for players. And I think at the end of the day, like this is what this panel allows is allows for the players to have a voice and to be able to have their opinions and feedback heard so that the ITF tour can can improve and, and be better. And yeah, so I, I got voted on and I'll sit on the panel for two years. And essentially we have discussions and provide ideas. We pitch ideas to the panel, uh, to, sorry, to the ITF and try and communicate the players' concerns, wants, desires to make the tour better to the ITF because you know, they don't know unless they're told, right? Like they, people think, oh, they must know. It's not super obvious sometimes. And I think just having play, players be on the panel, being able to tell them bluntly, um, you know, this is what we're hearing from the ground. They do take it seriously, which is like, I think quite, quite good. Uh, I think a lot of players expect things to happen quickly. Um, realistically, it takes time. I think if anyone has experience in, in business in some regard, they know that how um, kind of boards and, and voting and all sorts of things really take time to go, get passed through. So uh, it's tricky. It definitely comes with its challenges, but um, it's been great so far. I've really enjoyed being on it. Uh, we started meeting in, I think, February. I think we voted in January, I think, and I think our first meeting was in February or March. We've had a few since then. So yeah, it's been been great. And with that, we've heard and read a bit about, um, for instance, the OTP Player Council. And one of the challenges that they feel they face is that the needs or wants of the tournament directors are placed above those of the players. At times, there's been a feeling that perhaps there hasn't been meaningful change because they're not really being heard. Do you feel as, that, as though that's a constraint you might face or because this has been independently set up and it's a bit fresher, there might be a bit more, uh, let's say, energy or excitement about it and then perhaps it might create some more change? It's a little different. So the, the Challenger Tour is kind of not run by the ITF, it's run by the ATP, I believe. So with the ITF level, I don't think the directors, they, they obviously have a say of how they want their tournament run, how they want the schedule run throughout the week and and what that looks like. It's, it's not as heavily kind of affecting the players, I think, at the ICF level is maybe what the, the ATP Challenger men see. I, I know the other day there was a tournament. I've played a few tournaments in America and the obviously the tournament directors in America, the tournaments are funded a lot, like grassroots from, from the tournament. A lot of some, some nations, you know, for example, the Tennis Australia events, they're not funded by the clubs that they're held at. They're funded by Tennis Australia and the ITF. Whereas a lot of the American ones actually have clubs putting in their own money that they've fundraised for. So, you know, in those circumstances, they do have more, more pull, I think, of how they want the tournament looking. So I think it really varies with kind of financially what tournaments are putting into their events as well. Yeah, I mean, I know some events like when I was playing, they had night matches and players were like, oh, I can't believe we're playing like night matches and you know, and the physios are obviously like, oh, we have got to be here all day, blah, 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 and can totally see where they're coming from. But I think players at that ITF level also aren't used to tournaments, play, you know, for example, WTAs, you know, you're playing events, you know, you're playing at 9pm and that's just how it goes because you have sponsors involved and you have all of these 
outside people giving in opinions and at the ITF level you never normally see that so I think in America some girls were like really thrown off by playing in the night or or playing with crowds and it's noisy or whatever and they just you know I think once they're there they enjoy it the night match but the, the thought of doing it is very foreign so yeah I don't know I'm not sure if that kind of answers that but it really differs, I think, just depending on financially what the tournaments are providing. Yep. And on the panel, there is a pretty famous name. Mary Pierce. Mm. Absolutely love her. She's fantastic at facilitating the meetings. She really listens and, you know, she has been there and she understands kind of what we're going through, which is yep. great. It's really helpful kind of bouncing ideas off of her and talking to her just about about certain things. So she's really valuable and it's fantastic having her on there. And obviously Mark Woodford is the men's chair for the men's panel. So when we have joint meetings, he'll also be on. So it's really great also bouncing ideas off the guys. And we have a, also actually a group chat with uh, the men too, which really helps getting different kind of opinions from both sides. Fantastic. Well, that is pretty much all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for coming on. I hope the next year gets you inside that top 200 and you're playing WTAs all the time. Thank you. I hope so too. (laughs) Thanks. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.